I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. If you're 21 years old and use nicotine or tobacco, I'm here to tell you about Black Buffalo and how it's redefining tradition for millions of adult consumers. So if you're over 21, consume nicotine or tobacco, and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults aged 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. And it is presented by Cadillac, the official luxury vehicle of the New York football Giants. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Multiple ways you'd interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. That is option A. Option B, you can stay behind the computer screen. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere end at Giants.com slash podcast. So the Giants gearing up to travel to South Florida, go head-to-head with the Miami Dolphins in week five. Brian Dable spoke to the media earlier today, so let's start there. Obviously, the big storyline, Paul, is the health and well-being and the status of the offensive line. And we have gone through two days of practice. Today is the Mm -hmm. third, where Andrew Thomas, Shane Lemieux, and John Michael Schmitz did not practice. And Brian Dable indicated he does not anticipate they will get any work in. He did not rule them out, but you put two and two together, Paul. When three guys don't practice for a full week, I would say the chances of any of them getting out there, and that's just my personal opinion, are probably extremely slim. I would agree with you. He said Saquon Barkley will be limited again today, but they will see how he feels. Uh, Obviously, there'll be a walkthrough tomorrow before the team boards its charter down to Miami. Usually, in years past, usually they have a real good idea on Friday, but sometimes they will actually wait for the walkthrough before they officially decide that somebody is going to be out. I get the impression they'd like to wait that long for Barkley, but I think his situation is still a bit cloudy. Well, and we talked about this, Paul, in terms of his previous injury history. We're only at the point where he's missed two games, right? Mm -hmm. San Francisco, and then he missed the last game as well against Seattle. In years past, he was out three to four games minimum. So you do the math. I mean, he still is on track to return at a reasonable time. But if he misses this Sunday, would it be stunning? Is there a better chance that he plays against Buffalo? Perhaps. I mean, the bottom line is the Giants need to score. Okay? And that's stating the obvious. Whether Barkley's on the field or not, 
is irrelevant. They need to manufacture points. They're going up against, Paul, the number one offense. You don't even have to have an opinion. Statistically speaking, it's a fact. The Dolphins are number one in the NFL in points per game, total yards, passing yards, and rushing yards. All skewed by the Broncos game. Okay, well, you could say that all you want, but it's not as if they haven't looked too bad outside of the Broncos game. I know they lost to the Bills, but you know what? They scored three touchdowns even in that game. Two games in the 20s, and that's what you have to focus on. If you're the Giants... You want to focus on the two games where they scored in the 20s to Buffalo and to New England. 24 and 20. Okay. And what you what you see in those games is that you forced you you forced that Miami defense to slow down because you hit them. You made them feel the pain. Uh it's it's goes back to the what Belichick did to the Bills in Super Bowl 25. When you got a fast team that wants to run around like a bunch of pinballs inside a game. You need to whack them. You need to make them feel it. And you make them second-guess themselves the next time they try to jitterbug through your defense. So the Giants need to be overly physical like both of those teams were. And then, on top of that, you must absolutely punish Tua. Make sure that you hit him as often as you possibly can. Because his numbers are dramatically different when he gets hit. Much like, and again, folks, be careful here. I'm not comparing him to Tom Brady. I'm not doing that. But there have been quarterbacks in this league over the years that you see a dramatic drop-off in their performance when they're getting whacked. There are other quarterbacks who, even if they're under a lot of heat, they're able to maintain a high standard of play. Tua is not one of them. So you must whack him as often as possible. It's interesting you brought up those two games because I would argue I don't think the Patriots were that effective in flustering him as much as what Buffalo did. Buffalo was much Buffalo more was with really him. good. Correct. With him. Yes, but, Buff- but with the rest of the team, the Pats were, were pretty nasty. They were good, but they only had a sack of two quarterback hits. You look at Buffalo. I'm not talking about what they did to two. I'm talking about the rest of the team. Okay, but I'm focusing they tur- on... They turned that game into a wrestling match and that's what really helped the Patriots. And I think part of that also is Belichick and their scheme. No doubt. And also having familiarity with the Dolphins, having been in the Division Two, I wouldn't overlook that. But what impressed me about Buffalo was Buffalo won the battle in the trenches. And Buffalo was continuously getting at Tua because the first three games, Paul, you look at the sacks and the quarterback hits. So you have two statistics here to monitor. You're talking about Tua was sacked once and five quarterback hits. The three opponents recorded then the Bills came out, they sacked them four times, and they got nine quarterback hits. And the nine mm-hmm. is maybe even more critical to highlight than the four because you were continuously in his vicinity. You were making him think about what you could do. Now you apply it to the Giants. Paul, we're talking about a team that has four sacks in four games, and they had none in the first two. So the question is, can the Giants, can they find the middle ground, Paul, between New England and Buffalo's performance against the Dolphins, if you could do that, you know, can you get can you get a sack or two and five quarterback hits? How about that? Is that a reasonable number? I don't I think, think that's a stretch. No, I think you want more. No, I know, but I'm trying to be reasonable here. No, no. In terms of my estimation. No, no. Look, look. Yeah. You're one and three. Shoot high. Well, what, out of shoot doubt, high. you shoot high. Shoot high. But Don't what, settle. No, shoot no, high. But I'm, I'm just looking at it from what is reasonable to perhaps expect, especially if Connor Williams comes back and reassumes the center position. He was out the last game, and they had Liam Eikenberg, Liam Eikenberg in there, and you could tell 
there was a difference. So Connor's been a limited participant in practice. He comes back. That absolutely helps the Dolphins' offensive line. Okay. We know that Teron Armstead is out. Yes. The left, left tackle. tackle. Correct. All right. That's a big deal. Because that guy, when it's on the field, once again, one of those often injured players. Yeah, Kendall Lamb, his replacement, is a solid vet. He's been in the league, but he's not Armstead. certainly not Toron Armstead. Right, no, but so it's not like a rookie they're bringing in. You want in. Thibodeau to, to do what he did last week against Seattle. He played well last week. He had his most impactful game. You need him to take it up another notch, knowing that Armstead's not in the lineup. You want to talk about who's got to make those hits? Eichenberg had trouble with the snaps. Okay, so Dexter Lawrence, you got to be salivating at the bit. Yeah. You you got to make that guy as nervous as possible so that he's thrown off of his game. If you're Thibodeau, you got to make sure you take advantage of that left tackle spot as much as you possibly can. I think those are the two guys, more than anybody else on the field, Thibodeau and Lawrence from the Giants' defensive front, who have to be able to get to Tua. If you really want me to narrow it down, those are the two guys. Those are the two matchups I think the Giants can win on the defensive front. Assuming, of course, Connor Williams doesn't play, based on yes. that information. And even if Connor yeah. Williams does play, I think Dexter Lawrence can handle him. Oh, he absolutely can, but I do think there's a distinct difference between Connor Williams and Eichenberg. Yes. In terms of yes. performance. I wouldn't, so, I wouldn't dispute that. There's a bigger advantage, I guess is what I'm getting at, Paul, if Eichenberg plays at center. Sure. Where Dex could really set the tone and collapse that pocket, and then the edge guys can perhaps have somewhat of an advantage. Because the way you get extra physical with the Dolphins which is what you let off with, and you fluster them and you slow down their scheme, is you've got to win up front. Because if you're going to have a track meet with the Dolphins, it's not going to work out in your favor. And here's the other thing. You talked about being physical with also their skill position players, but that, to me, has to go hand-in-hand with wrapping guys up and not missing tackles. Because if you look at the Miami-Buffalo game, Mm -hmm. the Dolphins had problems with Stephon Diggs, okay? Forget Miami. In terms of their offensive position, on defense, there was a play where Diggs was throwing the ball up the left sideline. He had two guys in the vicinity, and Diggs wiggled his way out of traffic and then took it to the house for a touchdown. You do that to Tyreek Hill, Paul. You do that to Jalen Waddell, and I could sit here and name a thousand other guys. It's going to be a very long afternoon. It's going to be equivalent to what Noah Fant did when you had Seahawks Giants. So I'm all for being physical with them, but if physicality gets in the way of fundamentals and tackling, that's where you're all of a sudden entering a gray area. As Wink Martindale said yesterday, there are always going to be missed tackles in a game. I mean, the odds of any defense coming out of an NFL football game with zero missed tackles... You're not going to be perfect. It's 5 million to 1. Sure. Okay, because as he says, the offensive players get paid too. Yep. So that's not going to happen. The problem is, how many do you have, missed tackles that is, and how fatal do they the turn out to be? Yeah. Now, they had two missed tackles on the Fant long pass down the sideline. Well, guess what? That's the only touchdown drive Seattle was able to execute the other night. So, you'd have to say, those two missed tackles, only two, proved to be fatal. It's that simple. You can't have fatal missed tackles against the Dolphins. If you're going to have a few missed tackles, they're going to happen because they're so slippery. Well, it could be they're three explosive happen. touchdowns, yeah. That's it. That's exactly right. You could have six missed tackles in the game, but if they don't cost you a huge amount of real estate, you can survive them. Yep. 
you could have three missed tackles and each one could cost you a touchdown. That's that's the, the equation that you have to, to balance. Timing is everything. I say the same thing, Paul, about turnovers and takeaways, right? They're great. On the takeaway side, it's what you do with them. And then on the turnover side, sometimes it's when they happen. Or if, God forbid, they lead to touchdowns, which obviously has plagued the Giants. Because you can have a turnover and do some damage control, but if it comes at a point in a game where all of a sudden you give excellent field position to the opponent and you're already down by a touchdown, it could be a back-breaking type of play. And the Dolphins, they produce these back-breaking type of plays on offense if you do not bring these guys down. I mean, how many times have we seen Tyreek Hill... He just runs past the defender, and Tua throws him a home run. Or you think you're in front of Tua, and you think you're in front of Tyreek Hill. They connect on a short pass, and then he makes one missed tackle, and then all of a sudden, it's a 75-yard touchdown. Mm -hmm. That's what makes the Dolphins so challenging. And by the way, it's not just their receivers. The two running backs right now are playing at the highest possible level in Raheem Mostert and Devon Achan. That one-two punch right now is off the charts. And the funny part about it is... Uh, I remember I, mean, I watched the Buffalo game and then I watched the uh, the Denver game. I've seen both. Two, I've seen the Dolphins twice in terms of their video. Uh, against Denver, man, they had holes that you could run through. Yep. They were just gashing the Broncos' defense. And look, folks, you thought the Giants' 40 to nothing loss to Dallas was bad. You should watch that Broncos tape. <laughs> I mean, Sean Payton must have been puking all over himself for days after watching his defense basically stand around and do nothing to give up 70 points, 10 touchdown drives. Do you know how bad you have to be to give up 10 touchdown drives in a given afternoon? I mean, think about that. Wow. So, you know, I get what the Dolphins did, but when they had absolutely no resistance on the other side of the field, I temper that a little bit. No, and that's a fair point. That's why I read the numbers of the three opponents outside of Buffalo. It's night and day in terms of the no physicality doubt. for the Bills. The other thing about those Dolphins running backs is Mostert has contributed as a receiver where Tua, he will not shy away from throwing him the ball even down the field. There was a play, for example, against the Buffalo Bills this past weekend. Mostert was running up the right sideline. He was double team Paul. Tua threw it to him, and he went up and made a play for his quarterback, mm -hmm. just as good as a Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle play. So my point is, half the battle is stopping these guys on the ground because Tua will dump it off to these guys in the flat or even down the field. No doubt. And they can make explosive plays well, that way. Let me ask you a question. You just mentioned somebody making a nice catch. Through four weeks, and I've been calling, making, uh, calling for this, and I guess complaining is a good word if you like, for years... How many times do you see the Giants, their receivers, their tight end, if you want to include it in there, make a play above the X's and the O's? It seems like every week you watch the NFL highlights and the league is littered with guys making great catches. They're catching 50-50 balls left and right. They're wrestling them away. They're catching their own tip. Uh, passes. Sure. They're making diving catches. They're getting their toes down just inside the, the uh, sideline or the end zone like Amani Toomer used to do all the time. You know, Burris was great at it. Nix was great at it. Toomer was awesome at it. Cruz was good at it. The Giants, so far through four games, I haven't seen them making any above the X's and the O's catches yet. And we've been touting this receiving core and this tight end, Darren Waller, for how many months? 
Guys, it's time to start making catches above the X's and the O's. Make some spectacular big play grabs that are going to help jumpstart this offense, that will shoot 50,000 volts into this offense and get them off the skids. Well, this is the game to do it of all contests, especially if you're not expecting that your defense is going to play a perfect game. And I say that not because of low expectations. That's realistic speaking, where the Giants' defense, to expect them to go out and pitch a shutout every single game is insane. So they're going to give up points, which means the offense is going to have to do something to create some explosive plays. I know the idea that's thrown out a lot, Paul, and you and I have had conversations pertaining to this in past seasons is, well, play keep away in a game like this, right? <laughs> keep the Dolphins' offense on the sideline, milk the clock. I'm never a big fan of that philosophy in general. I just, I don't think, because here's the thing, you have to still be perfect, Paul, if you're going to go through 10-play 80-yard drives, 11-play 90-yard drives, do you know how much extra pressure that's putting on your offense? You can't get penalties. You can't turn over the ball. You have to be ideal with your decision-making. There's no room or margin for error. If you have some drives where you get what you're calling for, you get the 50-yard bomb. You get a running play where he zigzags in and out of traffic and he picks up 25 yards. You're alleviating the pressure on your offense. So to me, this is a game you need the explosion, much more so than, well, just rest the defense and hope that two and company are just going to be spectators. I just I don't think that's going to benefit them in the long run. And See, I don't think it's sustainable, too. Dragging the game down to a crawl and keeping the ball away from the other team's explosive offense is the standard call, and I favor it in most cases. But as is always the situation in the National Football League, it's all about matchups that particular week. Who do you have available? Who's on the injured list? And what's the best strategy to give you the best chance to win? Find the Bill Parcells path to victory. This particular week, as I've said the last two weeks, believe it or not, this has got to be an all-time record for me. Three weeks in a row, I'm saying you got to open it up. you got to use the pass to set up the run. And you got to make some explosive plays in the first quarter to get a lead. I felt that way against San Francisco. I felt that way against Seattle. And I feel that way against Miami. That's, that's against my usual grain. But you have to be flexible. You have to deal with the cards you have on the table today. And given that, I feel as though you've got to go in reverse compared to the usual strategy. So whether or not we agree all the time on this, we certainly agree today. The Giants need to get that offense humming. And if it means making spectacular catches, if it means taking more shots downfield early in the game, even if you're going to put your quarterback at risk, you've got to do it. Because here's what's going to happen, Lance. If you don't, if you try to slow this game down to the conventional way of thinking, the Giants don't have the type of sustained running game that's going to last throughout four quarters of this game. Which means in all likelihood at some point, the Dolphins will break through and get a lead. Well then, where are you? You're going to be exactly where you've been the last two weeks. With the other team holding the advantage, now being able to cheat against your passing game when they know you have to pass, and the Giants will be climbing uphill all over again in the same spot they've been the last two weeks against a quality team not a great defense but a quality team who even if you answer they're going to answer back you see what people forget about the comeback against the cardinals 
is that not only are the Cardinals a very roster-challenged team, but when the Giants made that comeback against Arizona, Arizona was unable to then counterpunch with their offense. They just didn't have enough to sustain for four quarters. They're not very good. The Giants also had explosive plays to help rally that comeback, right? right? But what I'm saying is, if you're down and you're lucky enough to get explosive plays against the Dolphins, their offense is going to answer you. Yeah, well, because they could do the same exact thing. Well, I was going to bring up the Bills-Dolphins game to help lay out your point. Look at how this game started last Sunday. Touchdown, 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 touchdown. Both teams combined to score on their first five drives of that contest. And that, I think... Bobbing and weaving. Correct. Jabbing. Exactly. No, Buffalo... Body shot, body shot. Yeah, 100%. They went at it. And that, I think, helped the Bills get into the flow of the game because they said, okay, hey, we can hang with Miami if it's that type of a game. And then, as you know, things slowed down because there's no way they're going to be able to sustain that. And then Buffalo, as the game slowed down, was able to get some defensive plays, some hits. And they got a fumble, for example. And they turned that into a field goal. And things all of a sudden started padding and adding up that they walked into the locker room up 31-14. to 14. But I'm not comparing the Giants to the Bills. All I'm saying is Buffalo, a big reason why they were able to topple the Dolphins for the first time this season was when you go out and you score three touchdowns on as many drives to begin the game, You know that goes a long way in helping A, prove that you can hang with the opponent, and B, that you can dictate the tone and they could dictate the tone and you're not going to fall off a cliff. The Giants have had That's a hard it. time doing that. You have to dictate the tone, the tempo, the, the context of the game, the yeah. game flow, if you will. I gave this stat yesterday. I don't know how many people were aware of it, but I'll give it again because uh, Lance wasn't here. The Giants have allowed 23 sacks this season. None on, four, on fourth down, only four on third down. That's it. Only four on third down. That's scary. Okay, well, the early downs are killing them. Okay, but why is that happening? Because they're getting behind. They're being forced to then be basically all pass all the time. Yeah. And as a result, on all the earlier downs, after they're getting behind by second quarter, third quarter, they're facing relentless pressure and their patchwork offensive line cannot hold up. All the more reason that you have to attack with the pass early in the game while you are still either tied or in the lead on first or second down. Because that's the only chance you have based on the game flow of how the Giants' season has gone where the defense may be a little bit on their heels as opposed to on the balls of their feet, salivating, dripping blood from their fangs, you know, eager to get to your quarterback. And we know this from past seasons. And I was listening to some of the Dolphins players speak this week. They talked about, well, can you bank on getting 11 sacks like Seattle? And they said, no, but we are watching the moves that the Seahawks players put on all of the Giants offensive linemen and what they struggle with, what worked, what didn't. So I guarantee you, Bradley Chubb and if Jalen Phillips plays, you know, they're going to try to dig oh, into you the, better hope Phillips the bag doesn't. of archives. He was, he's been scratched because he's been hurt. You better hope Phillips stays out of the lineup this yeah, week. Yeah, well, he's been getting in some limited practices. I know. And he did speak with the media this week. That's not a guarantee that he's going to play. I know. But the you fact better hope that they he held him out. Yeah, well, the point I'm bringing up also is I would argue on paper, 
Miami has better pass rushers than Seattle does in terms of resume. Sure they do. Chubb and Phillips bring to the sure table. Sure they do. Compared to the Chubb Seahawks. has never been the same since his rookie season, though. Well, and he's also had multiple injuries, No too, question. Specifically with his knee No issue. question. But remember, he's played in Vic Fangio's scheme. If anyone on that defensive side of the ball knows what Fangio wants, it's Bradley Chubb because they were together in Denver. And you could tell the Dolphins' defense far from a juggernaut. They have had their fair share of ups and downs. You could tell this unit is still feeling out what Fangio wants. You know, you can see the Dolphins can be scored on. But we've sat here in years past, and we've talked about attractive matchups for the Giants, Paul, and how on paper it looks glowing. And then you get to game day, and you don't handle your business in the trenches, and it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. So I'm not saying that anything is overwhelmingly attractive from the Giants' standpoint until they go out and prove that they can capitalize and take advantage of maybe a defense that doesn't have everything in order. All I'm saying is Phillips and Chubb, they'll wreak havoc if we see a repeat of what went on in that Seattle game, especially in the early downs that you pointed out, and then you play right into the hands of a Dolphins defense where Fangio and company, Fangio and company, they'll pin their ears back, and it doesn't matter how good or bad this Dolphins defense has been, the flow of the game will be playing right into their hands. Totally agree. Look, these are NFL teams, NFL players. You know, again, the Cardinals are seriously challenged roster-wise, but most teams... Most teams, if they've got any level of quality on the roster, they will take advantage of the context of the game. And if you slant the context of the game against your own team and let everything tilt in the other guy's direction, most of their opponents or or your opponents will take advantage of that. And, And you won't be able to skate uphill. It's not happening. Now, keep in mind, it will be... If Thomas does not go and it doesn't look promising, it'll be a Zuda at left tackle against Bradley Chubb. If you're the Dolphins, that's what I'm talking about. That's the matchup that you want to exploit because Chubb is going to play where Nuoso played last week, and Nuoso gave Zudu fits. Yeah. And he had a breakout campaign last season, and Nuoso came over from the Chargers, but not a household name. See, no. that's what I'm saying. You can't get caught up. In just names, because there's guys that scheme accordingly, and if the flow of the game, once again, plays into the hands of the Giants trailing, the Dolphins playing ahead up two, three scores, then I guarantee you Vic Fangio is going to give the green light to all of his pass rushers and say, guys, we know they have to throw. We know they don't have the luxury to run. Good luck. So you don't want to put yourself in that position because you're basically, you're laying out a gift for a Dolphins defense that is looking for that game, right? Similar, right? Seattle was looking for that game, weren't they? They had gone through two offensive clinics against the Lions in overtime and the Panthers. The first half was not great. The second half was better. So Seattle got that game where they played a complete defensive performance. Miami is searching for that same game. Part, they are. Okay. They, they want, are. I don't like to call it a get right game because matchups, they vary week to week. You know, you could get right one week and then look awful the next week. So it's not a get right game. It's just, you're looking for that complete game. That's the Mm -hmm. way that I would word it. So Miami is following Seattle's lead. They want that. They yearn for that. It's the Giants' job to prevent that from happening. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid 
it elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Let's get to a few reminders before we open up the phone lines. The Giants Huddle Podcast, you can check that out on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head to giants.com slash podcast. Single tickets, you can still acquire them as the official schedule is out. It's been out for quite some time. They're on sale now. Don't miss the Giants at MetLife Stadium this season. Visit giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat. As far as events coming up, well, we're knocking on the door for the Giants 5K run. You can run or walk with Giants legends. Giants Foundation is going to host a 5K race and kids run. It's presented by Quest. It's coming up this Sunday, October 8th, 9 a.m. Eastern, MetLife Stadium. Net proceeds will benefit the Giants Foundation. All participants will receive a commemorative T-shirt. After the race, stay for a post-race festival with appearances by Giants legends and a live DJ. Register now at Giants.com slash 5K. And who knows, Paul Dottino may actually sign that commemorative T-shirt if you catch him at the right moment <laughs> coming up this season. And last but not least, the Giants official connected TV streaming app. Giants TV, it brings you original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to big blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. All right, well, let's open up the phone lines as we move forward here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, getting you set for the Giants and the Dolphins, 1 p.m. Eastern kickoff on Sunday in South Florida. Tim is in Charleston, joins us here on BBKL. What's happening, Tim? Hey, Lance and Paul. Good to talk to you guys again. So I want to talk a little bit about my expectations for this game and then just comment on Saquon. Um, so... You know, I don't have very high expectations for this game, but what I would like to see, that would be, if you want to call it a moral victory, uh, so to speak, would be the defense continue, you know, continuing to show improvement. This is a juggernaut offense that's difficult to do that against, but I figure if they can keep them to three touchdowns or less, three touchdowns would be like the, 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 the median, and if they get less than that, that's a superior performance. Um, I think that um, I'd like to see the offensive line show, I, I know we're so depleted, but show a modicum, a modicum of competency and at least give Daniel Jones a chance to do something with his arm or his legs. And the only way I think we pull this game out is, is if the defense really plays above the X's and O's and, and creates multiple turnovers, that could flip the game or a special team's you know, uh, uh, flip, but I think that's, those are the only real hopes we have on Saquon. Honestly, I think it'd be a mistake to Saquon as much as I want him back in the lineup, because like you've said many times, Lance, his performance coming off these injuries is usually subpar. And why risk everything you have for the rest of the season on what is a very, very uphill struggle at this time. And, and with that, I'll take your comments off the air. Thank you so much, guys. Have right, a Tim. great weekend. Yep. You too. Appreciate the phone call. As far as the takeaways, I wholeheartedly agree with him. I think this is the type of game, Paul, where, as I like to call it, at bats. You've got to limit Dolphins at bats. How do mm-hmm. you do that? You take away the football, and Buffalo did that. Now, Miami has been middle of the pack this season. Their turnover differentials even. They have five takeaways, and they have five turnovers. Five turnovers in four games is not 
something that you're fearing. I think if you're Mike McDaniel, you want to clean that up, certainly, and you'd like your turnover differential to go into the plus. But you know, could the Giants get two to three takeaways? And remember, they've got none in four games. And a big reason why they have none is because, Paul, I want to go back to a statement you made which I think was on point, about on offense, have we seen the above X's and O's plays, those game-changing offensive plays? Well, what about on defense? Have we seen the game-changing defensive plays, Paul? Would I throw out in addition to that? Because you've had four sacks, but I don't think any of the sacks have come at a time in the game where it will shift the balance. And you could argue there were some interceptions that were dropped against the Niners. Okay, I'll give you. They've had some plays. And Thibodeau against Seattle. But nothing has ever come to fruition here. You no, the only time they they made any any serious defensive stops that were amounting to anything was in the fourth quarter against the Cardinals. They they shut down Dobbs and company in the fourth quarter as the offense was coming back. Uh, they had a couple of three and outs there, and they really but that was really a tackling and stops. I would say right, not and, necessarily an opportunistic play. I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Um, so look, again, yes. Giants defense can't just play well Sunday. They have to play great, which includes getting one or two takeaways. The offense is going to have to bust out. This is why the Giants are such heavy underdogs. They deserve to be heavy underdogs. But there is a Bill Parcells path to victory. That's all we're saying. And we're trying to spell it out for you so you know what to look for if you want to believe the Giants have a chance. Because this is what they're going to have to do. Now, Tua has thrown an interception in three of his first four games. When he and Xavier McKinney were teammates at Alabama for three years, McKinney picked him off only once during their practice sessions. But I know this. He's looking forward to trying to pick him off this Sunday. I mean, he didn't, you know, he didn't get him in 2021 when they played the Dolphins. But, but he's, looking, he's looking for one this week because the Giants don't have any. Speaking of path to victory, which is related to what we're talking about, the Dolphins, they had two legitimate turnovers in the game. They had a fumble and an interception. And mm-hmm. by the way, Buffalo capitalized and scored 10 points yes. off of those two takeaways. That was critical. But if you look at after they had this offensive clinic, okay, so I want to pick things up. When the Dolphins had their first fumble of the game, it was 28-14 to 14 at that point. The field goal made it 31-14. to 14. And then you look at the second-half possessions. After a touchdown to make it 31 to 20, interception, turnover on downs, turnover on downs, turnover on downs. What I'm talking about is look at how many at-bats you limited Miami, right, in terms of getting into scoring position. You took away the ball, two plays pick, and then each of their last three possessions. Now, part of this was you put them in the position. They were playing from behind, so you knew they had to go for it. But it was a turnover on downs on the last three. You know, that's what it took. I don't want to take anything away from the Bills, but the Bills' defense— on the last four possessions of the game, they answered the Miami bell. nothing. They answered the bell. Yeah. Look, here I'm I'm going to tell you this. If the Giants can somehow get their offense going and light a fire to that to that piece of wood and get it going, make some explosive plays early, get a lead, I would actually advocate at some point during the second half of trying to slow the game down with the run and with the short pass. You don't have to necessarily continue taking risks and gambles if you're up by, by, by 10, let's say. You're up by 7 or you're up by 10. If you have that lead, if you have the luxury, which, folks, it's a great long shot. But if you do, yes, at that point, now you do want to start slowing the game down a little bit. At the same time, you don't want to shut it down to the point where you're so ultra-conservative 
that you don't score any more points and you allow Tua to come back and beat you. Yeah. But 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 at some at some point, if you have the second half lead in this game, if you do, you're going to have to trust your defense to hold the fort. At some point, you're going to have to say Thibodeau, Dexter Lawrence, uh, you know Fabio Carrique, Leonard Williams, guys, we got you the second half lead. There's eight minutes left in the game. Okay, shut it down. Go shut it down. Enough is enough. It go ahead. We're putting the game in your hands now. Seal it. That that's what you want. I don't know. I don't necessarily expect that that's going to happen, but that's what you want. And you're asking for by far their best performance of the season up to no this question. point. If that does happen, but you know, once again, I go back to the Buffalo game, and I'm in no way comparing the Bills of the Giants. I'm just giving an example of the defense delivered as we were talking about, but then also, you know, the offense, and they did have some short fields, okay? It wasn't as if they were marching down the field 75 to 80 yards, but the offense said, oh, you're going to give us 25 yards where we have to score? We're going to take advantage of it because we know that the Dolphins in the blink of an eye can score. So that's why they kept, I wouldn't even say they were running up the score, but they said to themselves, if we have a chance to get 40 points, we're going to put 40 on the board. And we're mm-hmm. going to give our defense some breathing room. And that's how you have to think when you go up against a team like Miami. There's never enough total points that you can showcase. Because Miami is the type of team that their explosion allows them to also get back into games. And that's why you cannot take your foot off the pedal on either facet of the team in a game like this. Let's head back to the phone lines. We check in with Scott in New Mexico joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Scott? What do you got for us? Hi, guys. How are you doing today? What's up? Uh, you both made really very good points, but football is not a finite game. All you have to do is point to the game last night between Washington and Chicago. And Chicago, what, had over 500 yards in offensive scrimmage. Uh, it, it's, it, the league is just strange. No, <laughs> no Especially the first dominate. month of the season, that's for sure. Right. Uh, but my my things are a little different. Uh I think the Giants have been punched in the mouth for four straight games. I think the psychological element of that happening to you at some point, you have to rebel and you have to say, hey, I'm not going to take this anymore. And it's up to the coaching staff and the players that are going to be on the field, whoever they are, to adopt that attitude uh, and say, this is the way we're going to play. I think this, I may be the only Giant fans that think this is a winnable game. but I think the Giants have been pushed around for four games. They haven't scored a touchdown in the first half in any of them. And they're going to say enough is enough. I hope the coaches instill that in them and that they're going to play the, the best game they've played this season. They may still lose, but they have to have that attitude going in. Well, and- Scott, I would argue, you know, there was ample time for that attitude to be showcased in really the last two games. Wasn't it? Sure. I mean, even the Seattle game, even if you want to put the San Francisco game aside, quick turnaround, they were away from home. You're back home Monday night. You're in your own backyard. I mean, there was more than enough opportunity to say enough is enough. We're not going to stand for this anymore. Scott, attitude, well, attitude's only going to take you exactly. so far. And that's my I point. Think, I, I, think they, I think they had the right attitude. I, I'm in that locker room every day. They had the right attitude. Now it's time for execution. Right. Well, execution is one thing, Paul, but desire and effort is the other thing that, become, that comes into play. But I want to go over the practical ways that the Giants can defend against Miami. We obviously know they have team speed with the two outside receivers. 
do you think in this particular game they may even use four safeties or three safeties to sort of mitigate the speed that Waddle and um, uh, Tyreek Hill, you're talking about. Tyreek Hill have and play between the 20s. In other words, let them have the middle of the field, but then, you know, sort of hunker down and hold them to field goals as opposed to just letting them have a 75-yard touchdown. And is that one way they would do it? And on the offensive side, the question I would ask is have Daniel Jones run more than he has been? Because if the offensive line can't protect him and they can't run, he has to he has to get out of the pocket as quickly as he possibly can because his internal clock is all screwed up at this point because he thinks he's going to get hit on almost every play. So from those two vantage points, what are the machinations? What do you think the Giants are going to sort of do to countermand the uh, offensive line that's not holding up? And then on the other side of the equation, to counter the speed of Miami, and what kind of defense do you think they would do uh, in regards to, as I said, one suggestion is having more safeties on the field, uh, Dale, um, Belton as well as uh, McKinney and the other guys, to try to countermand the speed. And those are the two questions I have, and I'll be glad to take them off the air, guys. Thank and you appreciate again. the uh, phone call. Thanks for giving us a ring here. As far as the defensive approach, let's start with that, Paul. It was mm-hmm. interesting. When Wink Martindale spoke to the media the other day, one of the things he emphasized was the Dolphins have faced very few third downs this season, right? Because they <laughs> have know. so many explosive plays. <laughs> no, and, and the reason why I think that that's relevant is because I do think, and I want to give you the numbers, they actually have faced 38 third downs. That is the fewest in the NFL. Right. They have converted 42% of them, which is not bad, but 38. The team that has faced the most third downs, the Chicago Bears, in fairness, they played an additional game. So let me give you the next team, the Houston Texans, because they've also only played four games, 64 third downs. So the Texans have faced nearly double the amount of third downs from the Miami Dolphins. So if you're Wink, I do think you'd like to try to get the volume of third downs up well, yeah. from Miami. I think that is absolutely the philosophy. You protect yourself, of course, against the explosive play. But here's the thing. Even if you're getting them in third downs, Paul, my response to that would be, well, what third downs are you putting them in? If you're putting him in third and fours and third and twos, I would say Mike McDaniel <laughs> likes his chances, right? Because they love to run the football. So it's and they're not averaging six yards a carry. <laughs> 100%. So the point is, all right, you want to keep everybody in front of you. You want to try to win by a thousand cuts, that type of philosophy. If you give them four or five yards between their first two downs, you're still giving them manageable third down. So my response would be, that's half the battle. Down and distance really may even matter more. Well, the 42% on third down conversions by Miami's offense ranks 12th in the league. That's Nothing shabby about that. That's no, okay. That's respectable. That's okay. Yeah. But, yeah, as Wink said yesterday, and, and his comment was actually this, they stress your defense on all three downs, is what he said. But he emphasized the fact <laughs> that they barely get to third down. They don't have to exactly. a lot of times. Yeah. So, you know, I think I think it's an interesting point about putting the extra speed on the field. I would not put it past the Giants to put an extra defensive back out there. Is it going to be Belton? Is it going to be Flott? Is it going to be Holmes? None of those guys have 4-2 speed. So what they're going to have to weigh is what what is the speed factor? How does how heavy is the speed factor against the physicality that they're going to want to lay on the Dolphins offensive players? 
Are they better off? Maybe Isaiah Simmons has really good speed. Yeah. And he's a big man. He's got some bulk to him. Yeah. And length. Maybe Isaiah Simmons, maybe this is the game where they actually unveil his complete package because we've been told they're still working him in. Maybe this is the game where Isaiah Simmons gets a full game, plays all three downs, full game, and with his speed and with his ability to whack people, he can give you some of both. I like that philosophy. I would say I'd prioritize length and tackling over speed in a game like this from a defensive standpoint. Because if the goal is Paul— I don't mind having both. Well, of course, (laughs) in an ideal world. But what I'm saying is if we're talking about a philosophy of the priority is keep everybody in front of you, try to get them into some third and longs. The way you do that is you have the length and the physicality to combine to Mm -hmm. tackle— to me, tackling is critical in this game. It's oh, not yeah. a track meet. You're not worried about can the defensive back keep up with Tyreek Hill. Yes, that goes without saying. You need guys to stay in traffic. But if you have the opportunity to prevent the explosive plays and the Dolphins play into your hands, you now need to answer the call with the tackling. So I'd go with a Simmons. A Cordell Flott has length, too. You know, that's he another does. guy who I would take into consideration more so than any of these other guys who you think could just maybe run with them up the sideline. The line. thing about it is if you whack guys hard enough, legally, but make them feel it like what Buffalo did. Buffalo made every Dolphin on that offense feel the pain last week. That in itself is a deterrent. That, that gives some of those speed burners that extra second to think about something before they make their move and explode out of the gates. That's why, you know, when when Wink was asked about the Bills, he's like, well, first thing, they, they got physical. That's part of it. It's all part of it. Every little thing that you could do to take away their speed advantage, no matter how minuscule it is, everything you do to chip away at that is what you have to do. As far as the offensive question about is this a game where you want to see Daniel Jones run, and we did see some of that against Seattle, but part of that was because he had no choice. I don't think that's going to win you the game, though. I don't think Daniel being a heavy runner in this game, because once again, Paul, it goes back to you and I talking about this is a game you need explosive plays. You can't expect Daniel to set you up in manageable downs all day long and you go on 10-play, 80-yard drives. So, I mean, it's nice to have Daniel run. I think that's an important component, but that to me can't be the heavy lifter. It's the Wallers, the Jalen Hyatts, and the Wandell Robinsons. Those are the guys that need to produce plays. This is not a game where Daniel, you want to see running 12, 13 times, even if he gets 70 to 75 yards. I just, I don't think that's going to be enough to solidify a win. Well, if he wants to run for a couple 50-yard dashes, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> yeah. You know, get some explosive plays like that way. Like against the Eagles you're talking about a few years you back, know, as long as the turf doesn't trip him up. Yes. I mean, Fangio, believe it or not, is playing too deep zone. And and he's not traveling Xavier Howard, which yeah. is which is odd. Everybody expected that, that Howard was going to travel with the best receiver, and they expected this defense to be more aggressive. That's not what Fangio's doing with Miami. Through the first month of the season, he's playing two deep zone with shell coverage, and Howard is staying on one side, and and they've had troubles with the other side. Well, because they fact, lost Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, well, yeah. Ramsey's out with injury till later in the season. Correct. Yeah, if if, if that. And Kohu has been getting torched. Yeah, Diggs feasted on him. Diggs, Diggs yeah. had three touchdown catches for well over 100 yards last week. Yep, absolutely destroyed the Dolphins secondary, and Kohu was the guy who they had targeted because Howard was not traveling. So they knew, okay, 
He's going to be there. We know where he is. We're not going to deal with him. We're going to deal with the other guy. And and it worked beautifully because Kohu just could not handle handle business. Yeah, there were two things. I don't mean to interrupt you. It's, it was Kohu and then Brandon Jones just came back from injury, the safety. So this will be now an additional game back for him because he and Javon Holland, I would argue, one of the best safety tandems in the NFL. Unfortunately, guys have not been fully healthy. So do they experiment a little bit more with Jones now back for an additional game? Perhaps. But yeah, the loss of Ramsey set them back. Here's another guy that they're without, Nick Needham who was hurt last season with the torn Achilles, he now is starting his clock to come off of Pup, but he's not going to play this no. week. So it's the fact that they're really down two of their top corners. That's what really set back this Dolphin second. And as you're watching the game on television on Sunday, uh, Xavier Howard would be playing the left cornerback spot for the Dolphins. Again, they're not traveling him. So it's whoever the receiver is on the Giants' right side of the offense that would be matched up against Howard. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. So that is at least the answer to the last question with respect to the offense and defensive philosophy. Let's head back to the phone lines. We got Rocco in New York joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Rocco? What's going on, guys? Do right. I mean, honestly, What's on your mind? Well, first, does Howard really have to travel with anyone on this team? I mean, I don't really think there's a receiver that's really putting fear in anyone's eyes here. You know, it's that's that's on that point. But as far as making plays, I think Lance, you're right. Having Daniel Jones run is not going to make them, you know, it's not going to make the outcome of this game really change. They need to make big plays. That starts up front. That starts with time. The problem is this offensive line is the problem. They've been a problem for a while. The injuries have added up. And honestly, for the last couple of years, I blame some of it on coaching because of the fact that there's been no consistency with the starting lineup. You can't say it now because you have injuries. But the rotation at guard, I mean, it's when will that end? When will we get a starting five, have some consistency, and have give Daniel a, sh- a shot? Because at the end of the day, I'm almost scared that Daniel's going to become, you know, Carr's brother from many years ago. David Carr with you know, the Texans, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he's going to be gun-shy. I mean, we're, we're, we're destroying this guy mentally because of this. I mean, it's sad. And, and uh, you know, on another point, too, you know, as far as Evan Neal, he's a young guy. I'm not going to sit here and criticize him on his play that hard. But I will say from the other day, Hugo, who called, brought up some very good points uh, uh, in regards to him. I mean, you know, Paul didn't agree with him, obviously, but he brought up some fantastic points. And it goes, there's a lot to be said that Evan Neal didn't, 
do anything in the combine. And, and you, that says a lot. And I, I really think that that should be looked at a little bit more. I, I want to give the guy a shot, but listen, he, you can go back to that call, and that was a good assessment. Unfortunately, Paul didn't think so, but it was. Well, the only and, part of the assessment that was any good is that Neil is not a guard. He's, he's right about that, and I said he was right about that. Evan Neal, guard, Evan, Neal, Evan Neal should not play guard. He, he needs to work, itself, work himself out at tackle and get it right at tackle. That's where he belongs. He's not going to be – I don't believe he's ever going to be a productive NFL guard. I don't believe he's going to be a guard either. So we all agree. Kumbaya, my but, man. But, but, Paul, I mean, it's not even a technique thing. It honestly is a, a, a speed thing. He's a little slow. I mean, I'm going to give him time. And I don't want to, you know, argue with you or whatever. I'm, I'm just putting it out there. That's all. But I just, just think that it all starts up front, just like it starts up front with the defense. You know, sure. even with even yeah. with Thibodeau. I mean, guys. I mean, Thibodeau got a sack last week. But I'll flat out tell you, the best edge rusher on this team, he's just got to stay healthy. Is Aziz Ojulari? Yeah. And it's by a mile. Yeah. The only reason why the only reason why Thibodeau got that sack is because Aziz force the quarterback up into the pocket. You're right. They worked in tandem. Well, and, in fact, I mentioned that on the huddle if you want to listen to it. I talked about him and Thibodeau working in conjunction, and, and Olajulari went to the back of the pocket, Thibodeau went to the front, and the quarterback yep. stepped up and Thibodeau squashed him. That's exactly the way they want that dynamic duo to work out. So you're and, right on that and, point, too. And and as far as, you know, I, I'm hoping Aziz really stays healthy for the rest, of the rest of the year. I love this guy. I think he can really be a dynamic edge rusher. And the one thing about him, on another point, is if you ever watch his tape, when he's getting at, after the quarterback, he is not a guy who wants to make it flashy. He is not looking for the big hit. He is looking at that ball, and he is looking to tap that ball out of the quarterback's hand. He is consistently doing that when he gets there. If you look at a lot of his old tape, a lot of his sacks, he is a heads-up player, smart player. I will say that, but this is all I really have to say, guys. I mean, I know it's gonna, you know, everyone talks about this, but it's 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 up front, yeah. and and if that offensive line doesn't get corrected, and when everyone gets healthy, these coaches gotta really pick the five because yeah. it's gonna fall on them eventually. The fans, and and they're going to be right to be angry with Dable and whoever because. You have to have a starting five. There shouldn't be a rotation. Here, here's Take the problem. Here's right, the Rocco, problem. We'll no, let you go on that. All yeah. right. Well, just listen into the to the answer here. I happen to be one who favors playing guys more in the preseason. That's not the way most of this league goes. But if you've listened at all, I favor. I really favor playing more snaps in the preseason with your regulars. I specifically believe that that's important for the offensive line, more so than any other position on the roster. I happen to believe, me, that the offensive line, you got to pick those starting five, and they need to play some healthy preseason snaps together. That's what I personally believe. But I'm not head coach of any team in the NFL. I don't get to make that decision. So I agree with the caller. You do want to pick your five, and you want to get those guys ready, and you want to make them cohesive. This caller and I have a lot to agree upon. But here's what I will say on the other side of the coin. The Giants coaching staff professes that you want to keep interchanging guys because you never know who's going to get hurt and how many are going to get hurt, and you need to be prepared for that immediate change. Well, unfortunately, what has happened? A bunch of guys, starting with Andrew Thomas, have gotten hurt. Yeah, Bredesen, so John Michael Schmidt. So 
the other side of the coin, and I don't think there's a right or wrong here. Again, I prefer to pick five and play them. But the other side of the coin, and you'll get a lot of people who believe this too, that the mix and match and getting guys prepared for the immediate change is a good thing. The Giants have had, in retrospect, they, they're glad yeah, that well, they, they were did forced that. into it, sure. Because yeah. injuries did force them into a mix and match situation. So as it turns out, they probably, in retrospect, they probably lucked into making the right decision because they've had to make a bunch of emergency changes on the offensive line. Just imagine, had they not done some of the mixing and matching, how much worse this line would be right now if Bredesen hadn't played a bunch of snaps at center during training camp in the preseason. And that can be achieved during practice. If, 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 yeah, if, if McFadden, uh, not McFadden, McKeithen had not played a bunch of, of snaps uh, at right guard during training camp. Imagine that. It would be even worse than it is now. So, you know, you could go road A, you can go road B. They took road B. Maybe, maybe that was the best thing that could have happened this year. But I'm with the caller. I prefer road A. Well, I think any team would prefer to have five guys that you can rely on for the entire season. But I have no problem. If most of your cross-training is going on during practices and training camp, there's no harm, no foul there. That's not a problem. Yeah, but, think- but the bigger part of that is that during the preseason games, the starting five did not get very many snaps together. Well, but when you think about it, Paul, to your point, though, it would have uh, To not- me, that's, a, that's I- not... That's, that's that's not plan A, and no, that's no. that's where I go. But the point is, even if your five starters played the bulk of the preseason, if we go down your hypothetical road, with a handful of them getting hurt, how well, beneficial truly would it no, have but been? You, you didn't listen. That's I okay. just said that. In retrospect, yeah. because of the injuries, plan B turned out to be the, the better fit for this team this year. Sure, but I'm talking about plan B. Under usual circumstances, I will always take plan A. Yeah, but what I'm saying is plan B can be achieved not necessarily by sacrificing continuity with your starters in games. It can be achieved in practice, which is what the Giants have done. They've used their training camp practices to cross-train players. So that's not a game setting. You're not screwing yeah, up your but, starting but five. But part of plan that. A requires the starting five to get a bulk of preseason snaps. Okay, no, I buy that. That's but, part of plan yeah. A. No, and, and they that, did not they own. did not use plan no, no. A. But what I'm saying is is that you can achieve cross training in practice. I'm sure, and I don't then care. in games you play your starters. Well, fine. You could do both of those. Okay, so a hybrid. Saying. You're saying yeah. plan C. Okay, no, but what fine. I'm saying like that that's doable. fine. And that's fine. I think could prepare your you, team you, for having you, success. You want to mix and match and, and call plan C a hybrid? Fine. Yeah. Well, I think to the caller's point, it's my interpretation of the last caller, I think what he was bringing up was more of in a game where you're rotating guards. Nobody's hurt, but you're rotating guards. That's when it starts to get fishy. I took the caller's point to emphasize that. Not the fact that if an injury comes up, you're forced to obviously make a change. It's more of, are you rotating guys, but you don't necessarily have to rotate. Well, they we've did, seen some of that. They did that last year. They didn't Correct. do it this year. No, no, but we see, we saw it last year is the point where you had when that's Nick not Gates relevant any back. longer. No, I, I understand that, but that's what I took as an example of where maybe you start eating into the fabric of your starting offensive line. So as long as you're not doing that, I don't think that's detrimental 
to chemistry. I, 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 I interpreted what he said as you pick your starting five in training camp or the preseason and you play them and you get them ready. And that's I, the way I interpreted it. Okay. Well, we both had two different interpretations, but even if you have, good. even if you have your starting five, the bottom line is you still have to find a way to get those other guys reps because of what transpired with the Giants, where they wound up losing a lot of key offensive linemen. The worst case scenario would be you're literally throwing a guy into a position and he didn't have one rep, whether it's practice or the preseason, because mm-hmm. that'll really come back to bite mm-hmm. you with respect to that. Agreed. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. Andy is in Orlando. Joining us here on BBKO. What's happening, Andy? Hey, guys. How are you? Doing right. Hi. What's on your mind? First-time caller, and uh, I listen to you guys every day. Well, appreciate you tuning um, in and, and giving us a ring here. Of course. Hey, so the, the two points I want to make is, first of all, I agree with Rocco, and the uh, offensive line really is a coach's philosophy. If you think back to when we had a, we had Snead, O'Hara, um, that offensive line – those guys work together every single day. They also stayed healthy, yeah. by the way, Andy. That's something yeah, you got to emphasize. I mean, remember, they had the consecutive no start streak, which was insane. So it was like we, four years. Yeah, we were not talking about the backups because they didn't allow those backups to get into the game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the bottom line. Fortunately for those teams. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. It, it worked out well. And, you know, at the time, those first couple games, there was a learn, learning curve, but they, they quickly did and they had a lot of success. But I do agree that we do need consistency on the line, and that has to start with health, of course. But the other point I want to make, kind of difference from this year to last year, um, is the Giants' ability to deal with adversity. If you take the Dallas, um, the Dallas blocked uh, blocked field goal early on in the game, and then you look at the tush push and the failure there. Um, the biggest factor is. Last year, we were able to deal with adversity. This year, we can't deal with it, or we're not dealing with it. And what I don't understand is we have some of the same leaders on the team that push through that adversity, and it seems that that's a missing thing. We just, when, when we, um, when we uh, something goes wrong, they cannot rebound from it. Don't you know, miss don't don't have the misconception that they can't deal with adversity when last year they had Andrew Thomas at left tackle and they had their superstar running back for all but one game when he rested at the end of the year. You see, when you're missing yeah. those two pieces, it's real hard to deal with adversity. In fact, you just don't have a chance. Well, I think yeah, Paul, I, last season, talking. if I just could add something, Anthony, I think last season they dealt with adversity better in the first half of the season than the second half of the mm-hmm. season. Because remember, in the second half of the season, there was a stretch where from November 20th, as I bring up the schedule, to January 8th, they only wound up winning two games. So there was sure. a stretch where they weren't dealing with adversity, I would argue. So the first half, if you want to make a comparison between early start to last season and this start, yeah, you could argue adversity was dealt with better because, I mean, remember, the Green Bay, Baltimore, and Jacksonville games all went down to the wire, and they also rallied in just about all of those games, and you had wins at the end of the day, whereas you're not seeing that at all happen this season. I I guess what I'm asking the caller is, how do you make pizza without cheese? And without Barkley and Andrew Thomas, basically you don't have cheese. But, you know, I'm not talking just the offensive line adversity, just in general. You're talking about the you team, know, they're the driving team overall. Down the, yeah, they're driving down the field, and a blocked field goal puts them in a funk, and then they, they can't come back from it. I argue, I'd argue if they could have come back from that and dealt with that, it might have, might have had a different outcome. 
But, you know, I do, I do have a lot of positivity because I do think they're going to pull out of this. Will they make it to the playoffs? I doubt it, but I want them to be competitive in games and win games uh, versus what we're seeing. So I do think down the road, and it's a long season still, even though four games are behind us, I still I do think that we will come through this. And a lot of it has to be the health of, of Barkley and Andrew Thomas. You know, will they be able to get back? And now no Schmitz. doubt. And so, Schmitz, too. Yeah. You're oh. absolutely right. No, a lot of key players. And appreciate the phone call, Andy. I think that's important. But, you know, once again, you see other teams in the NFL lose guys and still find a way to be competitive and win football games. And remember, they had Andrew Thomas at Barkley for the second half of last season, as I noted, and that was a rough patch. So I'm not disputing your point, Paul. I just, you can't keep turning to an absence of a player or two to explain why games, forget wins or losses, non-competitiveness in terms of the product. You know, and that has been a challenge at some point, at least in the last few seasons. And the other thing, to the caller's point, if you want to say, well, it'll turn the corner, well, will it turn the corner against the Dolphins and the Bills, or will it turn the corner against the Washington Commanders and the New York Jets? Meaning the caliber of the competition it's always part needs of it. to be taken into consideration as well. Yeah. Hey, I just want to throw out condolences to the Bears, uh, the Chicago Bears family, and the entire NFL. Dick Butkus passed away yesterday. Uh, I was only fortunate enough to see Butkus's last two or three years in the league. But to say that he was anything less than a critical piece of the fabric of the National Football League would be just ridiculous. Because, you know, when you think about a middle linebacker, and there have been a handful of them who are truly the all-time greats in this league. Butkus, uh, Huff, Singletary, Carson, uh, Lambert. You know, these guys are not just Hall of Famers. They're Platinum Hall of Famers, okay? Butkus defined that city. He defined the decade of football that he played. And as an NFL guy, I I was extremely saddened with his passing because Dick Butkus, that guy's the definition of football. He's the definition of defense. He's the definition of guts and toughness. And I just want to, uh, on behalf of everyone in the Giants organization, I will send out those condolences because I know how much this family and the tradition of the NFL uh, matters and and feels about guys who built this league. Butkus is one of those guys. Well, he's certainly synonymous with that Bears organization when you talk about the all-time greats and those big bruising defenses. I think it's amazing just to add to what you said, that he really had two separate careers within one lifetime because you brought up his football playing days. Hollywood. Well, but there's a whole other generation of individuals that don't know Dick Butkus. He was a blast as an actor, too. I enjoyed it. Movies, TV series. Sure, Hang Time, which was on Saturday mornings on NBC. I'm not saying you watched that. Something tells me you didn't. (laughs) But no, he was in some movies in the 70s, too, as well. I just That's, to me, what's amazing, how you have this successful Hall of Fame career and then all of a sudden you start a completely new career after mm-hmm. that and an entire new generation knows you because of your on-camera work as opposed to what you did on the football field. That's what's really impressive also about the life of Dick, but- Dick Butkus, forget necessarily the football player. And that is going to wrap up Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We appreciate everybody tuning in. It's part of the Giants platforms everywhere as well as 
Giants.com slash podcast. We'll be back up and running again on Monday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern as we recap Giants-Dolphins. Enjoy the game on Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern kickoff. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. We'll speak to you on Monday, and have a good one right here on Giants.com. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.